Hi friends, uh, my name is Dave. I'm on the pastoral team here and happy to be sharing with you uh, today. I, I appreciated so much uh, Ryan's message last week. He titled it, The Church I See. What a great reminder that he brought to us that the church is spiritual. We gather together with spiritual concerns. One of the values of Living Waters Church is spiritual formation. So we carry on our minds and within our hearts the interests of spirituality, um, the interest related to spiritual maturity and growth. Appreciated how he drew from the life of Simeon, Luke chapter 2, this idea of pursuing spiritual maturity and spiritual growth in a new year through learning, through generosity, and prayer, which beautifully leverages us and launches us into this new series uh, back in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, this morning, um, with the title, Praying with Jesus. So turn with me. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. I want to read a story uh, with you today. And, it, and it's, it's found like this in the New Living Translation. It says this, And Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, uh, doesn't it seem unfair uh, to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Uh, tell her to come and, and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. This uh, story in Luke chapter 10, it, uh, it introduces us to Mary and Martha. I, I need to make an admission. So Mary, Martha, two, two M's. I was reminiscing with a little bit of embarrassment this week. I actually... Uh, many, 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 many years ago, I believe I spoke to a youth group and I, I actually titled from this passage, which, like Mary Martha, two M's, which M&M is actually a smarty? <laughs> I was so lame. I can't believe I'm even telling you that. But I had to, I had to, I had to get that behind me. Uh, this passage of scripture, um, it takes us to a small town in, in, called Bethany. Uh, Bethany is located in the southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives, just over three kilometers from Jerusalem. And this town of Bethany is mentioned many times in the New Testament because it was the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. These were friends of Jesus. It seems that this home that they lived in, Mary and Martha, was a home that was often used for ministry. Um, Jesus often uh, visited, often stayed it seems, in this home. Um, there was no secret, perhaps, of Jesus' appreciation for the home. As a single man in his 30s, uh, benefiting from the hospitality in a warm home, some good food with kind friends, it, it would have been an easy place for Jesus to frequent. Bethany, the town of Bethany, was also known for the miraculous resurrection uh, in John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus from the dead, uh, a sibling of Mary and Martha. So we go today to this small town uh, called Bethany. But to fully appreciate the dialogue that I just read in those few short verses, the dialogue between Jesus and Martha, 
as they talked about Martha's activity and Mary's activity, uh, we need to take a closer look at the entire chapter that leads up to this because the dialogue in context to the larger narrative certainly highlights some priorities that Jesus was sharing, not just to Martha affirming Mary, but also to us in 2022. Let's look at the entire chapter briefly. In Luke chapter 10, so we just zoom out for a few moments, Jesus is teaching about life lived by those followers of God. He asking and involving uh, followers of Jesus to discover a kingdom or a value system that is not of the world. Inviting his followers to engage in this Zoe life, inherit eternal life, but yet while on earth to fully benefit from a single-minded, devoted relationship with the living God, to establish priorities and focus accordingly, and to do things on earth that God blesses. Uh, this past Tuesday at our first team meeting of this year, our ministry team meeting, we meet Tuesday mornings at 10.30. And uh, my, uh, my thought with our team this week was to do the things that God blesses this coming year, which may involve stopping to do some things, to start doing other things, but do the things that God blesses. What a good curiosity to carry into a new year. This, this is what Jesus was wanting for us and still does want for us to do the things that Jesus will bless. So let's look at again at this chapter. In Luke chapter 10, there's two significant stories that precede uh, the text that I just read. One is in verses 1 to 12, where we read about the first time that Jesus calls, commissions, and sends 70 of his disciples out and about to continue his work, to do the work that God blesses. Specifically in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 12, they were told to go find people of peace. They were told to heal the sick and help the help people. Um, and they were told uh, people appropriately, like through love and deed, and of course in word, to tell people appropriately that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, to be commissioned to do the things that God would bless. And so these disciples go and do it very first time out on mission as a sent people. And when they return to Jesus, they come back with some remarkable stories. They were surprised. They were elated to see how God had blessed the work that they were about. They were, as they report, firsthand witnesses to the intervention of God. They witnessed the activity of God on full display, power encounters where the sick was healed, where power dynamics changed in the atmosphere and where there was dynamic deliverance. It was exciting. God was using them. God was blessing their obedience. But Jesus notes their celebration in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, where it's worded this way. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to Jesus, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Notice the language. The demons obey us when we use your name. That's perhaps subtle. If we don't pay much attention to it, they were zealous. They saw evidence of the delegation of power towards them. But Jesus here, I believe, as I studied this, was picking up a misaligned rejoicing, a misaligned celebrating. Friends, it's so easy 
It's so easy to turn the narrative, the Christian narrative to us and make life about us. Jesus wanted for their well-being to keep them tied and focused to the excitement of grace and mercy and forgiveness that comes from God to them and through them to the whole world, but to never lose the joy of their salvation. And so his response to them is in verse 20, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Careful what you celebrate. The greatest miracle of all is the salvation that has come to our lives. And, and oh, that we would never lose excitement, primary excitement to this. Psalm 51 verse 12 says, uh, a prayer, restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. Oh God, uh, in this new year, repair, renew my joy, align my life with the basics of the joy of my salvation. And then, of course, make me willing to obey to help others. See, the essential Christmas gospel message is not behave, it's to behold. And if we lose first love, then life gets off course and it gets messy unnecessarily. That's why Revelation chapter 2, verse 5 says, repent and do your first works as response to your first love. Love for Jesus is not to grow cold, even when we're on Christian mission. Our love for Jesus is to warm more and more each and every day. And oh, what a good year, 2022, if we find daily our love for Jesus warming. Warming and not growing cold. The second story, verses 30 to 37, that prepares us again for the text, is the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, reading this in passage, many would say it just simply points to what it means for you and I to be a good neighbor, but it's really not the case. The context of the story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus answering someone on how to receive eternal life and pointing to Jesus and how he is the good neighbor. And again, fully benefiting from the invitation and gospel to receive ministry of the one that kneels beside us in our brokenness, uh, that we would slow down, that we would stop running and receive from God who seeks to kneel down beside us to help us and lift us up. See, again, in these two stories of the sending and of the receiving of the ministry of the Good Shepherd or the Good Samaritan who kneels beside us, Jesus is working hard to shape the character and the values of the disciples. See, the gospel is not good news about what we can do. The gospel is good news about what Jesus has done for us. And we need to kneel and allow Jesus to kneel beside us to receive, continue that good benefit of the gospel. See, our story is a grace story. It's not a story about our good works, because at best they're inconsistent. Our story, the Christian story, the Christian narrative, is a story of God's continual work. It's not our good work story. We are to abound in service, but we cannot fail in worship. And again, this leads us to this story. Again, the gospel is not about behaving 
before it. It's about beholding uh, the good grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this leads us to the text that I read earlier in verses 38 to 42. Here we see Luke, the writer, paying close attention to the contrast, again, between Martha and Mary. And it's set up as a story that shares contrast. Now, here's Mary and Martha, sisters living in the same home. And it seems like there's a lot of similarities, but in some ways, there's a lot of different things going on within this home. Martha stands with food and dishes in hand with a convoluted heart. And we catch up to Mary sitting empty-handed and open-hearted at the feet of Jesus. And here is recognized by Jesus as a great example So let's just kind of unpack the contrast that Luke picked up on, again, through hearing the story and seeing Jesus's, hearing Jesus's comments. In verse 40, Luke chapter 10, Martha was distracted. The chosen root word describing a person that is being distracted, the root word here is to being drawn away or lured away, to be driven about mentally to be distracted, to be overoccupied unnecessarily, to be too busy. And we often see, as in the case of Martha, we often see the path of someone walking along this way will end up being left alone and working alone and suffering alone. And, and this is Martha. Again, alone in a kitchen with food and dish in a hand, very judgmental and very critical. Martha was distracted, distracted by this big dinner that she was preparing. The word preparing here is derived from the actual word called diakonoi, which speaks about identity. She was a preparer. She was by uh, study. She was a servant by her identity. She was a, one who, who comes with the word diakonoi. I'm a servant. An identity attached to service and serving. Quite ironically, the word diakonoi was, way back in the day, was the, 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 the name of my class in Bible college. And we had it on all of our stuff, diakonoi. I had it in jerseys and on notepads. We were diakonoi by, um, by definition. And I'm not sure over the years how much that helped me to have an identity tied to being a server. Perhaps, again, in the contrast of what the identity of Mary was, who was being served by Jesus. So Jesus observes dear Mary, and in verse 41 says, My dear, sorry, Martha, observes and says, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. And again, the root words of worried and upset speak about Martha being pulled apart. Pulled apart. And as a result, very vulnerable to the things that I just mentioned. Contrasting this with Mary. Mary Mary was not pulled apart. Mary was said by Jesus to be experiencing, in verse 42, the one thing worth being concerned about. The one thing. So again, Martha, pulled apart, distracted by many things, alone in the kitchen. Jesus says, Martha um, is concerned about the one thing. The one thing 
Not the many things, but the one thing, and Mary has discovered it. The idea of the one thing. The root word for one thing references this idea of having no division of parts. Martha was distracted, pulled apart by many things. Jesus contrasts this with Mary, saying she's concerned with a single-mindedness and is not pulled apart. She's together, and she's fully present at the feet of Jesus. Again, friends, the essential Christian message is to behold, it's not to behave. Jesus' love was being experienced by Mary. Jesus, greater than all of his gifts, he's lovely, he's most lovely. To be with him is to have everything Mary said, I need. His presence transforms the common home and Jesus was near enough for Mary Mary to hear all of his words. So here we see Martha and Mary in the same home but experiencing two different things. Mary at the feet of Jesus, fully present. It's not the first time uh, the New Testament references Mary at the feet of Jesus. There's two other times. Uh, We look to the Gospel of John for those other references. John chapter 11 Uh, Many would say at this very same home in Luke chapter 10, a little later after Lazarus, the brother, had died in this very town of Bethany, crowds had come from Jerusalem to Bethany to console. Jesus was delayed in his coming. Martha meets Jesus out in the town to talk about what was happening. And in the midst of the conversation, Jesus says to Martha, where's Mary? To which we read in John chapter 11, verse 28, Then Martha returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher's here and wants to see you, Mary. So Mary immediately went to him on the street. How beautiful to think that Mary was on Jesus' mind. Jesus was, had Mary on her mind. Oh, the dear place that Jesus has in his heart for worshipers and for people that make up priority for prayer. Verse 32, John 11, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary fell at his feet. Similarly, in John chapter 10, she fell at his feet. A chapter earlier, such a familiar place for Mary at the feet of Jesus. John chapter, sorry, excuse me, John chapter 12, a chapter after, it says, um, worded this way, John chapter 12, verse 2, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus was among those who ate with him, his resurrected Lazarus. And it says in verse 3, John chapter 12, verse 3, then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house fulfilled with her, was filled with the fragrance. Here, again, the third time that Mary is seen at the feet of Jesus. And through her worship, there was a beautiful fragrance uh, that filled that ordinary home. She's at the feet of Jesus again. Friends, this coming year, I want to encourage you to do the things that Jesus blesses. Mary was blessed. Mary was blessed because of her position and her priority. 
Jesus said of Mary, here it is. This is the one thing that is needed. Friend, again, the Christian central Christian message is to behold Jesus. It's not to behave for Jesus. Perhaps this is the most important message of this day. Mary's actions could be thought of as the embodiment of the first commandment in the Old Testament. There is no other gods before her, it seems. And friends, as I have said a few times this morning, as a church this coming year, I I want us to do the things that Jesus blesses, that God blesses, to build our lives around this, to move from doing good things for the sake of doing good things and to do the things that God blesses, and there will be his favor there, to move away from just puttering around to becoming a passionate follower of Jesus, whom we worship and adore, and whom Jesus blesses. So this is why this month we are looking at the prayers of Jesus. But before we'd ever do that, we need to, that's why I begun uh, this series this way, we need to take an appropriate place in his presence. And that, my friends, is at the feet of Jesus. So I ask you in closing, when is the last time Uh, You slowed down. It's the last time you sat down. You sat down. Open-handed and open-hearted at the feet of Jesus. It's more about the posture of the heart than to be found on our knees. But being found actually, literally, on our knees is not a bad place to be. I once heard it said, When you see me on my knees, it's not because I'm weak, but it's because I'm getting stronger. Martha, what a contrast. Driven, distracted, pulled apart, worrying, accusatory, alone. Mary, less judgmental, sitting still and very much spiritually attuned and alive because of her place at the feet of Jesus. Mary never wrote a book. She never performed a miracle. But what we do learn from here is that the gospel is about bringing all people to the feet of Jesus. So Mary was not only a friend of Jesus, but she was actually the embodiment of the gospel. So let's find our way to the feet of Jesus. Perhaps as we sing now, and certainly as we begin a week together.